0: All right, Ephesians, Ephesians tonight, matter of fact, just wait on that, I might not even start to there. Tonight we're going to talk about what the Bible says about the church, what the Bible says about the church, and this will probably be a two-parter, I'll go ahead and just give you that right off the bat, I'm not going to be able to get through it all. But if you don't have a Bible, just listen along, and you'll get some things from it. If you do have one, you ought to mark some things and get your references, and that's how you study the Bible, and you can learn things, and I write in my Bible, some people don't, but as you can see, I mean, it's there's nowhere else to write on these pages right here, but I've got pages that need more writing on them, but if you don't do that, just get you a notepad and write on that. Whatever you feel comfortable doing, that's okay, and uh, anyway, that'll be fine, but I like You say, well, you write a lot. Well, I'm a Bible teacher and a Bible preacher, so I use it quite a bit. But anyway, we want to talk about what the Bible says about the church. And to be honest with you, the word church simply means a called-out assembly. That's what the word means. It means a called-out assembly. And it's used two different ways in the Bible. Sometimes the word church is used, and the majority of the times, as a matter of fact, the majority of the times the word church is mentioned is talking about Local groups, just like ours, that meet together and join together and unite in membership like we have here and are part of local assemblies. And that's that's wonderful, and that's how it's used most of the time in the Bible. But sometimes it uses the word church a little bit differently than that, and it uses it as a whole as the body of Christ. And so we're going to look at that side of it first, and then when we come back, we're going to look at the other side of it in the second part. But we're going to look at both ways. And so it's used two ways in Scripture. Now, as the body of Christ, take your Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to give you a lot of Scriptures on this. Hebrews chapter number 12. And that's it's important. And it really doesn't matter what I think about it or what you think about it. It's what the Bible says about it. And that's how we learn things. So Hebrews chapter number 12, we read what the Scripture says. And we'll see the Bible tells you all about the church. And everybody ought to know about the church. Man, that's an important thing. And so there's two sides of it. You've got the local New Testament church. That's what Gethsemane Baptist church is. There's many of them all over the world. And there's churches in this town, county, all around. But that's what we are here tonight. And then you have what you call a whole group of believers that make up this body, so to speak. And so Hebrews chapter number 12 Hebrews chapter number 12, it talks about it right here. It says in verse 22, But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, look at this, the heavenly Jerusalem, and that's not talking about the one down here, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn. Now let me just say, to the general assembly, that's not talking about the United Nations either gathered together. As a matter of fact, when you get in this assembly, you're not going to need an earpiece to try to figure out what everybody's saying because we're all going to speak the same language. Amen. You say, what is it? Could be Hebrew up there in heaven. Down on earth, though, the greatest language on earth is English. You say English, yeah. And really the purest form of that has a southern dialect with it. Amen. So no offense, just the way it is. But anyway, verse twenty three that's just my opinion, okay? Verse twenty-three. To the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. Let me ask you a question. Is your name written in heaven? Well, good. And to the God and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits are just men made perfect. So you've got the church here, the general assembly, the church of the firstborn. Now the firstborn speaking of Christ. And we said that in our Bible Institute last night. He's the first person to ever be born of the Holy Spirit. And he was born through the virgin birth is what it's talking about. And let me just say on a side note, that wasn't his beginning. He's always been. But that is when he came in the form of a man and came and was born of a virgin. He came here on earth. But we know that he's the creator of all things. He's... He's God in the flesh when he came, the scripture says. But we're not talking about that tonight. We're talking about this church that he's talking about, the general assembly, the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. Now, another place we want to see. Take take your Bible and go back to Colossians to the left. Colossians chapter 1. Another great verse over here. Colossians chapter number 1. Colossians chapter 1. We've got the ladies softball team coming Sunday. and We're going to treat them so many ways. They're, they're, they're going to like something. I don't know what it'll be. Maybe some of those giveaways or something. They're going to like something. But it's going to be so good. you think the track coach would bring his team sometime. Maybe we could get in with him. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. They may not be as special as the softball team maybe that's what it is I don't know all right Colossians chapter number one (laughs) I know one thing that softball coach she'll sure bring them Colossians chapter one no offense oh he's here Colossians chapter one Colossians chapter one verse number 18 and he is the head of the body the church who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead that in all things he might have the preeminence. Now notice the Bible is speaking of Christ in the passage. I'm not going to go back up to all that, but he's the head of the body. You say, well, who's the head of the church? That's Christ. Christ is the head of the church. And not only that, he's the firstborn, just like it said over there in Hebrews chapter 12. It used that same term again, from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And the word preeminence means superiority. In other words, He ought to be superior to me and you. There's one person that's superior to everybody else. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's superior to everybody. And so we yield to him. We're not to have the preeminence. He's to have it. Um, He's superior and we ought to recognize that. But notice this is the body, the head of the body, it says. And so this body is an important thing. And did you know the Bible says there's only one body? Just to the left is Ephesians, the next book to your left from Colossians. And Ephesians chapter 4. Maybe it's two books. There ought to be Philippians in between there. I misspoke. Just checking if y'all are paying attention or not. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, he gets talking about these one things. There's seven ones that he mentions over here. In Ephesians chapter number 4 and verse number 4, he says, There is one body, that's pretty plain, and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism one god and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all okay so you say there's one body one spirit one hope one lord one faith one baptism now when it talks about that baptism and we'll talk about that more here in a moment that baptism is not talking about water baptism like you see back here this baptism is the spiritual baptism that takes place the moment a person accepts christ as their savior And it's the baptism that places you into his body. That's an important one right there. And we ought to be thankful for that. You say, well, what happened when you got saved? Well, the Holy Spirit entered inside my heart. That's what the Bible says. And he sealed me to the day of redemption. And I think that's a wonderful thing. I think everybody ought to experience that and ought to be glad. And the Spirit's with you from then on. I mean, you're sealed into the day of redemption. And as Brother Leon Harvey used to say, that's long enough for me. Amen. And that's long enough for me, too. And you get that baptism. There's seven different baptisms mentioned in the New Testament. You've got to figure out, well, which one's he talking about? You get a lot of these commentaries. They'll say, what that means is there's only one kind of baptism. No, that's not what it means. It means there's one baptism. There's a water baptism. There's a spiritual baptism. There's a fire baptism. There's a baptism of death. Or you can go all the way through there. And there's all kinds of baptisms in the Scripture. And so you've got to figure out, well, which baptisms he's talking about? the most important one, the most important one, the one about getting saved. And so there's one body, one body. Now, that's plain. And people say, well, the local church is the body of Christ. If that's the case, do you know how many bodies there are? There's a body here, a body over there, a body over there. All over the place, There's bodies are laying everywhere. We ought <laughs> we'll be on a crime show or something, hadn't we? But there's not bodies laying everywhere. In the sense of a local church, there's local churches everywhere. But as far as the body of Christ, it's one body is what it is. It's one group. And we're a called-out assembly in the sense that we're called out of the world. We're called out to be Christians. And one day, we're all going to assemble together in heaven, every one of us. We're going to be in the same assembly, the general assembly. You say, who's going to be there? Well, if you're saved, you'll be there. And I'm saved, so I'll be there. And those that have died and gone on? Like we talked about, Sister Fanny Graham, Brother Bill Atkinson, Brother Buck Jones, and Brother Buck Pickrell, and Sister Bonnie, and Sister Dorothy, and all these other people, and you can go all down this side, all these great people, Brother Joe back there, and Brother Joe up here, all these great people that we've lost and we hated to lose, guess what? We're going to assemble together again with them one day. We might have to take a little break for right now but one day we're getting right back with them and it's all and by the way there won't be any more deaths then and there will not be no more separations we'll be with them for all eternity and it's going to be a good time we're going to have fun why wouldn't a person want to go to heaven I don't understand why anybody wouldn't want to go to heaven you just live forever you can eat all you want to eat never gain a pound they don't have the low carb diet in heaven you don't need it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, I didn't offend him too bad. He's still to me over here. <laughs> all you got to do is bring up food. You got him. man. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but I, I kind of like food myself. I'm <laughs> along with him. I mean, that's good, isn't it? And man, we're going to have a time. And Dr. Betts back there. I mean, I need to go see him now. I've got all these aches and pain, all these things and go see him and let him work me over. We won't need that in heaven. Now, he'll be there because he's saved, but he just won't be practicing what he's doing <laughs> up there. You say, why? We'll have a perfect body. That's how come. Man, that's going to be good, isn't it? That's going to be wonderful. you got a boy that's a chiropractor too, don't you? He won't be practicing up there. But since he's saved, he'll be up there. I mean <laughs> that's okay. We'll have perfect bodies. It'll be fine. be all right. I'm glad they practice down here, though. Well, I'm thankful for that body. Now how do you get in that body? That's the question. Well, I think that question's answered. I think it's answered really well. So let's go back and run a few references on that. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. First place we'll look is 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now once you to get 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and John chapter 6. So grab 1 Corinthians 10 in one hand and John chapter 6 in the other hand. You say what's John chapter 6 about? Oh, it's just about the world's greatest fish fry. 5,000 men were fed from just a few loaves and fishes. Not counting, the Bible says, it says not including women and children. Because they were there too. You say, why did they count the men? and not? I don't have any idea, it's just what it says. Might have been 20,000 people there. And it didn't seem like they had a whole lot of fish, but boy, they got it together pretty quickly. Well, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to look at it first. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that little boy brought his fish and hush puppies, and man, the Lord took that and spread that to everybody. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17. For we, being many, are one bread and one body. How come? For we are all partakers of that one bread. okay. If you're in the one body, you've got to be a partaker of the one bread. Does anybody know what the one bread is? The Lord. Look in John chapter 6. It tells you what it is. John chapter number 6, all the way down, all kinds of great stuff. He gives a discourse on the bread of life. And as he's given that discourse, he defines what the bread of life is. Look what he says in John 6 verse 35. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. That's pretty plain, isn't it? He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. He's not talking about never getting hungry. I'm hungry right now. He's not talking about never thirsting. We got crispitos in the fryer back there. For I mean, I'm talking about, I walked back there, and, and I almost didn't make it over here. Grease dripping off of those things, and, and I'm not talking about, from a gas station either I'm talking about right here in the kitchen amen better they hadn't been sitting on the shelf all day they just they're being cooked right now amen I mean sometimes you go into a gas station and you think I think that was there two days ago when I was over here <laughs> and you get the burrito anyway you know but anyway <laughs> you wish you'd do it enough well here you've got the Lord here and this is a different kind of food a different kind of bread this is a spiritual bread that you partake of when you trust Christ as your savior and so, anyway, when you partake of that, that's how you get part of that body. You've got to partake of the bread of life, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the bread of life. He's the water of life, the Scripture says, too. How about, how about another thing? Take your Bible and go to Ephesians now. We're talking about how you get in that body. Well, you've got to partake of the bread to get in the body. Ephesians chapter number 2. Ephesians chapter number 2. Ephesians chapter number 2, and check out verse 16. Great verse in the Bible. Verse 16. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body. How's he going to do that? By the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. By the cross is what he says. You say, how do you? How do you get reconciled and get put in that body? Only by the cross. Had Jesus not died on the cross, you couldn't be part of it. He had to die on the cross in order for us to be part of that body. It's pretty plain. As a matter of fact, you've got to be, you got to go through the cross and you've got to receive the bread of life and then you've got to be in Christ. You say, how do you know? Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. It's back to the left. We got that one first. Try to get in order. You can just keep going. But anyway, it doesn't always work that way. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 4. Romans chapter 12, verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body. How? In Christ. And everyone members one of another. How? In Christ. That's how it happens. You've got to be in Christ to be in that body. That's all there is to it. Now, that took place when Christ died on the cross at Calvary. It wasn't possible had he not done that. That's when all that made, was able to happen and all that. So I thought the church started on the seashores of Galilee. The local church did. But the church in the sense is the broader side is the body of Christ Christ died on the cross of Calvary. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment, too. Uh, In my mind, I had another scripture. Let's see. So that's not good. I didn't get any of those memory pills. Sister Eva, I need some of those memory pills next week. (laughs) Then I won't forget this. It just popped in my mind, and it left me. Oh, I almost had it. Galatians. I got it. I got it. (laughs) Just hold up on the pills. I'm okay right now. Galatians. (laughs) Galatians. Galatians chapter number 3. Galatians chapter number 3. Alright, Galatians chapter number 3, verse 26. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into what? Christ. Christ. Put on Christ. People say, well, you, you get baptized into the church. They don't say that. I've had people quote that to me. And they're talking about you get baptized into a local assembly. You don't get baptized into a local assembly, you get fellowshipped into that. Now, I, part, I believe a person needs to be saved and scripturally baptized. That's what I believe before they can be a member of a church. I think that's the right way. I think the Bible teaches it. I think I can show you in the Bible that that's following the Lord and doing those right things. But the truth is to be in the body of Christ, a person has to be baptized into Christ. And that baptism is spiritual baptism. That's what takes place, something you can't even see. It's invisible that it takes place the moment you trust Christ as your personal Savior. And so there's a difference there. Now, you've got to watch a lot of these folks, a lot of these Baptists. They'll say, well, you know, you're baptized into the church, and they quote this verse. And I had one of them tell me one time that, and I said, hold on just a minute. And he's talking about the local church, local assembly. And I said, that's not what the Bible says. Oh, yes, it does. I just opened it up, and I said, well, let's read it instead of you quoting it. He goes, oh. <laughs> well, that's what it means anyway. I said, well, if that's what it meant, that's what it would have said. <laughs> People start with crazy kind of teachings and crazy doctrines. And I wasn't being ugly about it. I mean, he was just on and on and on about it, but he didn't have any scripture. I've had people tell me this, to be in the body of Christ is the craziest thing you ever heard in your life because there's no scripture to go with it. They say, well, first you've got to be saved. I'm good with that. Then they say, you've got to be scripturally baptized. Well, I'm not good with that because they're talking about water baptism. And you've got to be scripturally baptized, you've got to be baptized in the same kind of church that they are that can trace their lineage all the way back to Christ let me just say something there's no church in the world that can trace their lineage all the way back to Christ they don't exist you say well you're out of your mind there's no way I've read char- I'm probably going to teach church history here for long you can't say well this church started this one this one this one this. they've tried to do that and then all of a sudden and then there's a break-off somewhere and they say well it's probably this one started probably that they don't have any records they didn't keep really that good a record. Sometimes in two hundred and twenty-five AD and two three hundred and fifty AD, you don't you have a break in there somewhere. Anyway, that's not in the Bible anyway. They don't. And they say then you have to be in one in that kind of church, and then that church has to be actively carrying out the Great Commission and doing right, or you won't be in it. And you say, "Wow, would you show me that?" Well, I can't show you. That's what the Sunday School book says. What? Do you, no, I want to say what the Bible says about it. But they can't give you one scripture, I'm talking about one, uno, not one scripture to back up that teaching. Nowhere. Show me. You say, why do you say that? Because I've looked for it forever. I've tried to find, so that sounds good. Now show me that in the Bible. Well, you just need, forget the, I've heard them say, don't worry about the Bible, look at the Sunday school book. Hold on, buddy. <laughs> Let's put the Sunday school book aside for a minute and look at the Bible. How about that? Man wrote Sunday school books. And I'm not saying Sunday school books aren't good because there's great Sunday school books. But you can't compare a Sunday school book to the Bible. Those aren't the same thing. If you get your doctrines out of a Sunday school book, not out of the Bible, you're not going to be doctrinally sound. Matter of fact, you'll end up being a heretic. So what will happen? Somewhere down the line. So we use Sunday school literature. You say, what do you do with it? We check it out with the Bible. As long as it goes with the Bible, it's good. If it goes against the Bible, it's wrong. And so that's okay. I don't use it, but some of our especially our kids' classes and stuff, I think that's gr- fine. I think it's great. Be way. Good stuff. All right. And so here you are, and you got this church. And the Bible's very clear. You say, well, that baptism over there, what is that? That's not water baptism. That's spiritual baptism. You say, how do you know? Go back to 1 Corinthians. I'm going to show you in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's not. I don't not that smart. I don't know everything about it, but I know what the Bible says. It doesn't matter what I, how smart I am or what I know. It matters what the Bible says. First Corinthians chapter number twelve. Now I'll get some flack over this lesson. You say, "Here, not here." Our people believe the Bible, but somebody in, in a Nebraska or somewhere will listen to this, and inevitably they'll send me a note and tell me. And you know what they'll do? They won't put scripture with it. Because they know they don't have any. First Corinthians, or if they do put scripture, they'll try to change it. They always do. That's the other trick they do. Or they'll try to say, well, this verse really means, and they'll take it way out of context and it doesn't even mean what it's talking about. All right, First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, there's that term, one body, being many are one body so also is christ for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body now i don't want to make this too difficult we'll make this real easy but i got a question for you if you were guessing what kind of baptism that would be for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body what would you guess spiritual that's what i would guess you know what they'd say they'd say, well, the the Spirit's not something which one can be baptized in. That's talking about water. You know what that is? That's a Catholic teaching. I'm not here to talk bad about other religions. I'm not saying that, but that's where that comes from. I'm not a Catholic. You say, well, you think Catholics aren't going to heaven? If they get saved, they're going to heaven. I don't even think Baptists are going unless Baptists get saved. So you know, that has nothing to do with that to me. I believe there'll be plenty of Catholics in heaven. I really do, and I think there'll be a lot of Baptists in heaven. You say, how are they going to get there? By getting saved. they got to trust Christ as their Savior. But what this teaches here, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. That's spiritual baptism. There's no way around it. That's a capital S in my Bible. Is it a capital S in yours? It's talking about the Holy Spirit then. That's something that takes place the moment a sinner trusts Christ as their Savior then. That's a whole different ballgame is what that is. That's a whole different ballgame. Now, how about some blessings? How about some blessings of this body? You say, well, what's the blessings? Well, turn to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter number 19. I like this part right here. They're blessings. There's things that make you... Bless, the word blessing means happy. Revelation chapter number 19. Here's a scene that takes place in heaven. And it's right after the tribulation. All that's just coming to an end. The Lord's getting ready to come back. As a matter of fact, the second coming, not the rapture. In Revelation nineteen eleven is the second coming of Christ. But notice in Revelation 19 verse 7 Just before that Revelation 19 verse 7 It says let us be glad And rejoice And give honor to him How come? For the marriage of the Lamb is come And his wife Hath made herself ready And to her was granted That she should be arrayed in fine linen Clean and white For the fine linen is the righteousness of what? Who are saints? Save people. Well, what are they going to do? They're going to marry the lamb. He's the groom. There's going to be a marriage that takes place in heaven. That's going to be wonderful. I look forward to that marriage, don't you? Won't that be great? And this marriage is flip-flopped differently than any other wedding you've ever been to. Because down here on earth, the wedding's all about the bride. Rightly so. I'm for that, by the way. I think that's what... Who wants it to be about a groom? They're all ugly. You want about a bride? <laughs> Get these beautiful brides, and we've had them walk right down this aisle, and got more to come. And man, they come down, and they're the last ones in. The groom, I'll come up here at the groom, you know, as the as the preacher or the minister, and I'll come, and we'll stand, and the groom's going to we'll stand. The flower girl will come, and the and the ring bearer, and all that, and then all the bridesmaids, and man, everybody gets in their place. I mean, everybody's in the building. About that time, everything stops. And the minister says, everybody please stand. And the music changes to the wedding march. And about that time, those back doors open. And there's a beautiful young lady dressed in white with her daddy or whoever in arm. And they walk down. Boy, everybody stands up. They don't stand up for anybody else. When a groom comes in, they just keep their seat. I'm okay with that. I'm for that, by the way. And when the bride comes in, everybody stands up. I'm for that. Man, that's her day. It's a special day. And it's all about the bride. I mean, the groom's there, and if he's smart, he'll make it all about the bride too. <laughs> and anyway, <laughs> learn early. And man, she comes down, and it's, she's beautiful, and man, she's fixed up, and it's wonderful, and they have a great marriage. But when we get to heaven, it's going to be the opposite. The bride's going to come in, and this bride's not a physical type thing like you know down here. It's men and women all together. It's save people. It's not like, it's not none of this crazy stuff that's going on in our country right now. I mean, we've got the greatest attack on women that we've ever seen in our life. A man has no business on a woman's sports team. Why don't you let these women be women and thank God for them and do what they do? And if the NCAA don't like it, they ought to just move is the way I look at it. You say, why? Because I'm for the women, that's why. If you can't make the boys' team... Join something else. Be on the checker club or something like that. I don't know. That's right. Let the girls be the girls. That's right. it's anyway, craziness. You say you shouldn't say stuff like that. Most people don't say stuff like that. But anyway, I think people are wanting people to say something like that. People's had enough of it. But thank God. You say, what, I, what I'm trying to say is, I'm for the women. I'm on the women's side. That's who I'm on. And I want to see them get to build When my daughter plays volleyball, she shouldn't have to go out against a boy which most boys are terrible at volleyball anyway. But you say, why? Because she's not a boy. She's a girl. God made them differently. Let her be what she is. Let him be what he is. That's the way it works out. But in that marriage up there in heaven, you got a groom coming. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And for the first time in a wedding, or at least the first time it should be this way, I hope it's not been that way, it's all about the groom. And it ought to be about him. We want it to be about him. Down here on earth, we want it about the bride. But up there, it's about the groom because, to be honest with you, if it wasn't for the groom, there wouldn't be a wedding. There wouldn't even be a venue because the scene's in heaven, and he went and created that place. And we ought to be glad that he did. I'm thankful he did that. And so what we see is a marriage taking place, a marriage. And then not only that, we got a new place to live. Look in Revelation 21. Revelation chapter 21, Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, Then there's a whole city, and it's prepared for a bride. You say, who's the bride? The body of Christ. Look all the way down in verse number 9. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither. I will show thee the bride. Who is she? The lamb's wife. She got married to him in Revelation chapter 19. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. You say, what's the city? The bride is the city. We live in Walnut Ridge, Arkansas. This church does. Not all of you do. So maybe you live in Hoxie, Arkansas. We've got people here who live in Pocahontas, Bono, Jonesboro, Maynard, Smithville, Perigold, Tuckerman, all over people drive and go to our church and we're thankful that they do. And many other places around here, And you can say, well, these are cities, all these different places. If there weren't people there, they wouldn't be cities. It'd just be land. You come through Walnut Ridge, there could be all these buildings and all these things. But if there wasn't one person here, it'd be vacant, it'd be a ghost town. It wouldn't be a city anymore. Because the city's the people. We build buildings and houses to house the people. The city's the people. They have a population sign when you go into a city. Because that's what the city is. When you get up there at New Jerusalem, you know what the city is? The people. It's the bride. It's those that's been saved by the blood of the Lamb. That's who it is. And we ought to be thankful to be part of that body. And God's prepared a place with mansions, a street of gold, gates of pearl, walls of jasper. The most beautiful place that in the universe, outside the universe. The most beautiful place that's ever existed is that place. And you know what it's going to be? Yours. You say, why? Oh, because... A man died for you 2,000 years ago, and you trusted him as your Savior. That's the only reason. He did everything. We don't even deserve to be there. We're going because of what he did. Boy, hasn't he been good to us? He wouldn't want to be part of that body. I'm glad I'm part of it. I thank God for it. All right, got to stop. We're out of time.